Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father who art in heaven, we live in a day when our heads have been filled with much information. We have social media, we have our telephones, our computers, much learning. But Lord, our hearts have been empty. And I come asking today, please, would you teach us how to wrestle with you like Jacob did? Lord, will you bring us to an end of our information, our full heads? And will you cause us to begin to see how empty our hearts are? Lord, would you create a hunger in our hearts to know you, a hunger in our hearts to pray, a hunger in our hearts to leave behind once and for all pride and ambition, once and for all to walk away from the world and all of its enticements. Lord, if ever there was a time your people need to be awake and filled with your spirit and quickened, Lord, today is that day. I plead your mercy. I plead your mercy, I plead your grace that you would awaken us today to the danger for we will not be here long. Lord, come quickly before we perish. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm going to begin sharing with you today several stories, stories of men and women who knew their God in the hope that as I share some of these stories and then we go to scripture, that your heart will be stirred, that you will say, if they could do it, I can do it. As I prayed, I have had to struggle to find even one man or one woman who would wrestle with God. And now I praise his name because at the National Prayer Chapel we don't have just one man or one woman. We have a whole company of people who are now weeping before the Lord, hungering for Jesus asking for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but they are so very unusual. They are not the norm. They are the exception. And so I come today to share these stories, but to also ask you, yes, I'm asking you personally. God knows you're listening to this broadcast. I'm asking you personally. Are you satisfied with the condition of your heart? Is there any understanding in your spirit of the shallowness 
of the emptiness, of the hardness, of the casualness? Have you been utterly consumed with all of the things of the world, with work and family and and money and all the responsibilities and all of the pleasures? Or is your heart hungry for Jesus? If there is not even the beginning of an awakening in your heart, you may find this hard to listen to. But I pray there is a recognition somewhere deep within your soul that there must be more to life than all of this empty-headed shallowness, the fighting and the bickering and the anger and the disappointments. There must be more. And I want to tell you today, there is more. There is much more, and it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. You'll understand as I begin to share this story with you. I find it in a book written by E.F. and L. Harvey and E. Hay. The title of this volume and seven volumes is They Knew Their God. I'm going to share with you from volume number one. There will be a notice up on our webpage at nationalprayerchapel.com about these volumes. They are paperback and they are wonderful in stories, carefully researched. I have had one of our members write to them and ask if we could read these on the air, a number of stories, and they have replied, yes, please. I want to share with you today the story of William Brumwell. William Brumwell was considered an apostle of prayer. There was a very serious an earnest Christian woman, a young woman, who was about to set sail from Liverpool, England, to visit friends in Jamaica. It was many years ago in the days of the old sailing ships. In that day, the voyage would be very long and fraught with peril. She decided, before she would take this voyage, she needed to go and visit William Brumwell. He was a much-esteemed Methodist minister in the city. She went to ask him to commend her to God's blessing and protection for this journey. He received her graciously, and then he prayed fervently on her behalf. As he arose from his knees, the most unexpected words came from his mouth. He said, My dear sister, you must not go tomorrow. God has just told me you must not go. Well, she was surprised and she was disappointed. She was confused because all of her plans had been made. In fact, her luggage was also aboard the ship now waiting for her. However, She dared not ignore the warning of this man that she knew was in close touch with the God of heaven. So although it was inconvenient, 
Pastor Brumwell accompanied her to the ship and helped her remove all of her luggage. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. God's servant had dwelt too consistently in the Lord's presence to miss this divine directive. Six weeks later, word reached England that the ship with all on board had been lost at sea. William Bremwell was born in February 1759 in the village of Ellswick in England. He was a member of a large family. His parents were staunch adherents to the Church of England and they attempted to rear their children in accordance with a very strict code of morality. William had a love for truth. He had become an apprentice to a courier at the age of 15. Asked by his employer to confirm to a prospective customer the worth of a certain item, the boy spoke out bluntly, No, sir. The quality of that leather is not so good as you have represented it. How the boss reacted, we're not told. But this and other similar incidents being circulated, William, as a lad, gained a reputation for absolute truthfulness. But such a standing before men could not bring peace to his heart. He knew he was a sinner. He knew it all too well. He was a very sober-minded young man and by faithful church attendance and good works endeavored to earn his salvation. Hatred for immorality pressed the youth to enter into public houses to persuade some of the most degraded men to leave their lives of vice. But within his heart the tempest raged as evil tempers and memories of past sins constantly harassed him. He would resort to bold austerity, such as kneeling for hours with his knees bare on sand. For a time he attempted to embrace Roman Catholicism, but soon he returned to the church of his fathers. He spent hours in the attitude and posture of prayer, being especially devout before receiving the sacrament. God saw his hunger, and while the ceremony was being performed, his soul cry was answered. In a moment, the way of salvation by faith in Christ opened up to him, and he found pardon and he found peace. Now having no spiritual instructor and being ignorant of Satan's devices, young Brumwell joined a group of church singers. They were merely nominal Christians and even met in a large room in a public house. Here frivolity and worldly entertainment soon had its deadening effect upon the young convert. He lost the comfort of the sense of sins forgiven. Now let me stop for a moment. I'm going to say it bluntly to you. You cannot have Jesus and the world's entertainment.
If you fill your heart with the world's entertainment in the sports, in the movies, in the video games, if you fill your heart with the world's frivolity, you will have a deadened conscience. And although your head may be full of theological self-righteousness, your heart will be empty of the true piety that Jesus will accept. You will be a nominal Christian. You will be a worldly Christian. You will sit and watch the television for hours. You will have your alcohol. You will have your pornography. You will have your football. You will have your baseball. You will have all of the things you love, but you will not have Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to open for you today this story. And then if we have time today, we will go to the scriptures. And if not, we will tomorrow to open for you the reality that God wants to give to you a pure heart. He wants to give to you himself, but he will not mix himself with the full-headedness of wickedness that we have in our age. He will not give himself to one who spends hours in the telephone. He will not give himself to one who spends hours in Facebook. He will not give himself to one who spends great deal of time with football and baseball and basketball and other professional sports. He will not give himself to the man of the circus, the man of the social occasion, the man who spends or the woman who spends great amount of time and energy socializing with others. He will not give himself to that person. If you want Jesus you're going to have to leave the worldly things behind. You cannot have both. Now please, I only speak the truth to you. I am not speaking with legalism. I am speaking about an honest relationship with Jesus our Lord. What would you think of a man who said, I love you, to a woman, marries her, and then has no time to spend with her. What would you think? Would her heart remain firmly attached to that man? Of course not. One woman, after years of marriage, said to me, I felt I had to dance naked on my head just to get my husband to even look at me. That's how it is with Jesus and many of you. Jesus will not do that. Brumwell, as a young man, was urged by a young Methodist preacher to attend services held by that sect. He flatly refused. 
he had heard nothing but ill of them, and his father considered them deceivers and wolves in sheep's clothing. But later, hearing a Catholic woman defaming the Methodist, it dawned upon William that these were the true followers of the despised master, and that the opposition of Satan and the world only proved their genuineness. Just a few humble people assembled at the first service he attended, but his heart was warmed. He said of the sermon, Oh, this is the preaching I have long wanted to hear. These are the people with whom I am resolved to live and die. Soon after, the little band was visited by their founder, John Wesley. That night, Mr. Bromwell again found the comfort he had lost, and from that time was enabled to walk continually in the light of God's countenance. Some of you, listen, some of you have never walked in the fullness of a pure heart. You have always walked as you've been taught in the sin of your life, believing that that was covered by grace, but it's not, and you've not had peace in your heart. I spoke with a with a man in his 70s, an honest man, a man I've learned to love. I spoke with him about Jesus. He said to me, Pastor, I love Jesus with all my heart. Every day I search the New Testament. I read the Gospels. But he said, I guess I'm always going to be a sinner. I've tried all my life to be free of my sin, but it's impossible, so I just have to settle for this life. I quickly gave him some material to read. I quickly turned his eyes toward the Word of God. And I said, no, you do not have to always walk in your sin. In fact, if you continue to walk in your sin, you will be lost. You must come to Jesus, and you must experience the purity of heart that only Jesus can give to a man where he totally scrubs and washes him. First, you must consecrate your life to him. And if in the consecration process... As you wait before the Lord, there is no washing and cleansing and breaking of the power of sin. It's because you have still held on. You have still not been willing to give up everything for Jesus. Now let's be honest. Some of you want Jesus, but you still love your sin. And you're not willing to give up your sin. Yes, you want Jesus, you go perhaps even to church, you perhaps even preach. I've spoken to many pastors who still live a life of sin. And they think they must walk with sin until they die as though death were going to be their savior. I thought death was the enemy. I thought death was the enemy. And Jesus was the savior. If Jesus cannot save me from my sin, 
I don't want him. I reject any Jesus who does not have the power to fully sanctify my life and release me from all sin now in the present. And I want to simply testify to you today. He has released me from my sin. And I have the peace of Jesus in my heart. But you know, I still want more. I'm so hungry for Jesus. And I confess to you today, I'm still much too shallow. I have been much too much caught in the work of the gospel instead of the prayer closet. Jesus is calling me more and more into the prayer closet. My life is in prayer. My life is in fellowship with Jesus. And I don't have time for the world. I don't have time for television. My heart's too hungry for Jesus. But let's come back to this apostle of prayer. <laughs> Brumwell says this, I was for some time convinced of my need of purity and sought it carefully with tears. Have you been convinced, my brother, my sister, have you been convinced of your need for purity of heart? Or have you just said, I'm always going to live this way like this dear brother did? Is there something in your heart that is rising up that says, I must have a pure heart? This was Bromwell's experience. He sought this purity. He sought it with tears, with entreaties and sacrifice, thinking nothing was too much to do or suffer. If I might just attain this pearl of great price, yet I found it not, and knew not the reason why, till the Lord showed me I had erred in the way of seeking it. I did not seek it by faith alone, but as if it were by the works of the law. Being now convinced of my error, I sought the blessing by faith only. Still it tarried a little, but I waited for it in the way of faith. And when the house of a friend at Liverpool while I was sitting with my mind engaged in various meditations concerning my affairs and future prospects, my heart now and then lifted up to God, but not particularly about this blessing. When suddenly, heaven came down to my soul. The Lord for whom I had waited came suddenly to the temple of my heart, and I had an immediate evidence that this was the blessing I had for some time been seeking. My soul was all wonder and love and praise. 
If you have not yet done so, my brother, my sister, I urge you to go to nationalprayerchapel.com and there you will find a sermon, a sermon that was just preached at the National Prayer Chapel. It is on circumcision. Brother Jim Kerwin, he spoke about sanctification and he identified three parts to sanctification. The first part, the first part is consecration. The utter giving over of myself into the hands of God. Not holding anything back. The second part he spoke of was the work of God. The work of purifying my heart by faith and utterly removing sin from my soul, removing the old nature, the old man of sin. And then the third part, wonder and love and praise. John Wesley said that love was the perfect fulfillment of the law. Brumwell continues, during a 15-mile walk to a preaching appointment that night, the enemy whispered all the way, Do not profess sanctification, for thou shalt lose it. But the Lord won the battle, and during his message, William Brumwell told boldly to the glory of God what great things had been done for his soul. This was the commencement of of one of the most fragrant walks which God has given to a man. Stripped of all self-confidence, Bromwell realized that there was no holiness apart from a life of constant communion with his heavenly Father. Two great passions literally consumed him. The first was to be in God's presence continuously. He said, I am giving myself to prayer. Along with this deep love of God's presence came a great longing for the salvation of the lost. Prayer, prayer, and more prayer was followed by intense labors for the souls of men in many of the large circuits in northern England. Sleep, Food, health, all were sacrificed to these two great loves of his heart. When he was 28 years of age, Pastor Brumwell married Miss E. Byram. We know little of his family life, but at least two children, a son and a daughter, blessed the union. His letters to his daughter Anne are full of fatherly love and admonition. His first appointment was to Blackburn, and finally to Dewsbury. Of his service in and about Dewsbury, his biographer tells us, he gave himself to continual prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and was instant in season and out of season. In this work, he sought the cooperation of all who would unite with him and appointed prayer meetings at five o'clock in the morning. Such efforts could not be in vain. 
He wrote, As I was praying in my room, I received an answer from God in a very particular way and had the revival discovered to me in the manner and effects. I had no more doubt. All of my grief was gone. I could say the Lord will come. I know he will come. And that suddenly, and indeed that is exactly what happened very soon. After two weeks of visiting the various societies in the Sheffield circuit, he wrote, After diligent search, I have found not one person that knows the virtue of Christ's all-cleansing blood. I have to stop. I find at the National Prayer Chapel men and women who have discovered for themselves the virtue of Christ's all-cleansing blood. But as I go about speaking with other people and other churches, I find they are utterly ignorant of the topic of this wonderful, wonderful gift of the all-cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. I find in churchman after churchman, pastor after pastor, that there is no understanding in our culture today of this most wondrous gift of Jesus. Instead, these people today, and many of you are included in this, have reduced the blood of Jesus to that of the Old Testament animals. You have said that the blood of Christ is no more powerful than the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb. In that day, in the Old Covenant, righteousness was declared. It was imputed righteousness. The New Testament knows nothing of imputed righteousness. The New Testament knows nothing of a righteousness that is a covering for our sin. Much ado has been made in the modern church about grace, and grace has been falsely said to be that which covers over our sin so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He just sees Jesus. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And it cheats Jesus of his awesome power and authority to come in and make you righteous in reality. Now, I understand why this is so. If a man can say, I am covered by the blood of Jesus, I am covered by grace, I'm still a sinner, but I'm saved, he can have the best of Jesus and the best of the world. You don't have to deal seriously with your sin if you believe that you're saved in spite of your sin. But the testimony of Scripture is absolutely clear. The New Testament does not teach that Jesus' blood covers or imputes righteousness to us. It teaches only that the blood of Jesus imparts righteousness to us. It teaches, well, let me read this. 
Hebrews, the 10th chapter, I'll begin with verse 22. May we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts having been sprinkled from an evil conscience. A follower of Jesus Christ no longer has an evil conscience. If you are still troubled by an evil conscience, it's because you are not a Christian. He goes on, and the body having been washed with pure water. I looked that word pure up. In the Greek, it means to be cleansed by pruning. And so prepared to bear fruit. This person who has been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, and this person who has been washed with pure water is free from corrupt desire, from sin and guilt. He is free from the mixture of what is false and what is genuine. He is free from all guilt and all sin. This is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the glorious victory. That's why I I opened this broadcast today by saying to you, is there even a, a breath of wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in your heart? Is there... Is there even a breath of refreshing from the Holy Spirit blowing in your spirit, calling you to Jesus? Some of you, there is not even a breath. But I believe that many of you listening are being awakened by the Spirit. And he is calling you to come in deep. Is calling you to become one with Jesus, not in your head, but in your heart, in the fullness of your life. It's time to leave our full-headedness that has emptied our heart of the power of prayer and the power of the Spirit and the power, the power of God to be righteous. May we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for the one having promised is faithful. He's faithful to sprinkle us with the blood, to cleanse us. He's faithful to purge us. Verse 26, Hebrews 10, 26. Now, willfully continuing to sin after we received a clear knowledge of the truth, A sacrifice no longer remains concerning sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, even the fury of fire, being on the point to consume the adversaries. Anyone having rejected the law of Moses dies without mercy upon the word of two or three witnesses. But how much worse punishment do you think he will he will be considered worthy of the one having trampled the Son of God underfoot, in fact, having regarded the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy a common thing, even having insulted the Spirit of grace. You see, grace never, never in Scripture covers sin. Where there is grace, there cannot be sin. Where there is sin, there cannot be grace. Grace comes with confession of sin, 
with turning from sin, from being made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Mr. Bromwell understood this. He said, I am striving with continual prayer to live near to God, nearer than I have ever done. And he brings